What is an American conservative conserving if not our freedoms and our civil liberties? Well, they are not. They're the biggest threat. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. The opposite of a nation dedicated to conserving, preserving, and protecting cherished civil liberties is a police state. Think of Nazi Germany, Stalin and Putin's Russia, or Mao's and Xi Jinping's China. Those are not dedicated to uh, protecting civil liberties. The opposite of a big state radical is of course, conservative. Our guest today, Jacob Hornberger, founder and president of the Future of Freedom Foundation, is one unquestionably dedicated to the defense of our treasured civil liberties. His article says something of major importance in these times when our traditions of civil liberties are under threat as never before. One would assume conservatives are determined to protect our traditional rights of freedom as spelled out in the Constitution. But Hornberger writes, conservatives are disasters on civil liberties. How can that be? Are civil liberties not the very foundation, the bedrock of any legitimate meaning of conservatism? Which brings up the question, in 2022, who are these far-right talking heads on TV who blithely wear the mantle of conservatism? And with politicians calling themselves conservative, how serious a threat are they to the liberties we cherish as we head into the next election cycle? Jacob Hornberger, thank you so much for being back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Well, thank you for having me, Bert. Nice to be back with you. Well, after teaching law and economics at the University of Texas in 1987, Jacob Hornberger was a trial attorney for 12 years in Texas. He left the practice of law to become director of programs at the Foundation for Economic Education. He's advanced freedom and free markets on talk radio stations all across the country, as well as on Fox News, Neil Cavuto, and Greta Van Susteren shows. And he appeared as a regular commentator on Judge Andrew Napolitano's show, Freedom Watch. Now, all of America is now quite used to people on the far right calling themselves conservative. It strikes me that the mainstream media, I, they must be displaying just laziness in the use of that word conservative. Conservatism to me has to mean conserving what we value. It's not radical far right change. Let's start this discussion by defining a couple of key terms, conservatism and civil liberties. First, what does conservatism mean to you? How might you define it, Jacob? Well, first, let me just give a minor correction here. Uh, I got my law degree at the University of Texas, but I taught law and economics at the University of Dallas uh, in Irving, Texas. So I just wanted to make that clear. Sure. Uh, conser conservatives, I, I would I would take issue a little bit with what you said about conservatives. I think conservatives are devoted to preserving the status quo. Yeah. And whatever that status quo is, um, that's what they're going to preserve or conserve. Now, if you've got a free society, conservatives are great because they're preserving the free society. The problem is, is that when it's not a free society, they're still committed to conserving it. And that's the problem that we have here in the United States today, that we haven't had a free society, a genuinely free society in the libertarian sense for you know, over a hundred years, and cons but conservatives have convinced themselves that this is a free society and that they're committed to conserving it. 
Hmm. And one of the one of the best areas of this is civil liberties. I mean, if you look at the the rights that are enunciated in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and eighth amendments, which are the traditional civil liberties, conservatives are horrible about those rights. That for decades they've called them constitutional technicalities that let guilty people go free, and so there's been this ever constant assault on the on the liberties that are enunciated in those particular amendments. Hmm. And one of the many results of that, of course, is this mass incarceration that we have where people are just, you know, if they can't afford uh, cash bond or whatever, they're just locked away and they don't have a lot of freedoms. That's for darn sure. Well, the, the second definition, civil liberties, many of us treasure, treasure our Bill of Rights. And there's, there's a lot of history in America where people in power aggressively have worked to crush these civil liberties. I, I wonder if you could cite a few examples in the 20th and perhaps the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, now, some people use the term civil liberties to encompass the, the liberties in the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's best to limit the term civil liberties for in terms of our discussion to the liberties that are enunciated in the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Eighth Amendments. Now, those are different kind of liberties than, than in the First Amendment, because the, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, these are rights that Jefferson talked about in the Declaration of Independence. They're natural, God-given rights that pre-exist government, and therefore government has no legitimate authority to infringe on them. The ones in the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Eighth Amendments are in a different category. They're designed to address what happens when the government or the state comes after a person, targets a person for punishment. Uh, we, we want the state to go after people who commit violent crimes like murder, rape, theft, and so forth. But these amendments ensure that if the government does do that, it targets somebody with some criminal offense, it's got to follow certain well-prescribed um, rules and regulations that have really been developed over centuries yeah. of resistance to tyranny, especially under the, under the British king. Um, so our ancestors, when they had accepted the Constitution, they made it a condition for accepting it that it, the Bill of Rights would have to be enacted. And thank goodness they did, because those amendments protect, contrary to what conservatives say, they're not designed to protect guilty people. Right. They're designed to protect innocent people who are targeted by the government for punishment. And just to help us out here, you say the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments. Could it be just a little bit of specifics about them? Yeah, uh, like the Fourth Amendment protects people from unreasonable searches and seizures. Ah, yes. You know, so we don't want the government to do what the, the British Crown was doing. Mm -hmm. They would issue like a general search warrant that would authorize government officials to just go into a person's house and go around, start searching for evidence that would incriminate him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't want that. So, so in order to get a search, um, the, the, the law enforcement officers got to go to a judge and with an affidavit showing probable cause as to why this house needs to be searched. And so this protects everybody from government, which, the, the purpose of the amendment is that it recognizes that this is what government officials are prone to do, yep. even in a democracy like the United States. They wanted to make sure this didn't happen. The Fifth Amendment, as an example, is 
that they can't force you to incriminate yourself. Uh-huh, yes, they can't. Indeed. They can't torture you into confessing to a crime. That you have a right to remain silent. Um, the Sixth Amendment. You have a right to confront witnesses in a trial against you. You have a right to a jury trial, which means that you don't have to have a judge deciding your guilt. You have an absolute right to have a jury of your peers deciding whether you're guilty or not after the the state charges you with a crime. And when they bring that that trial. They can't use like hearsay evidence that is statements that are made outside the courtroom against you. You've got a right to confront the witnesses against you. So they have to bring the witnesses in and you have a right to cross examine them. Uh, You have a right to be presumed innocent. You have a right to bail, uh, as you mentioned earlier. So these are kind of examples. Uh, It's really what might be called a barbed wire entanglement Uh, for the state. What do you mean by that? A barbed wire entanglement. Yeah, well, the state is is super powerful. I mean, when you when you put up the federal government, you know, federal prosecutors, the Department of Justice uh, um, versus an individual or even at the state level, state prosecutors, they have unlimited amounts of funds uh, for all practical for purposes. Sure. And when they target somebody, I mean, they can bankrupt a person oh, yeah. with attorney's fees and so forth. So the, the our ancestors recognize this. So they said, well. We're not going to make it easy for you to put people in jail and punish them. We're going to have these barbed wire entanglements that's going to make it very difficult for you. Now, recognizing that some people would go free that had committed crimes, but the idea was that better that 10 guilty people go free than one innocent man be found guilty. We were so concerned about that 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 an innocent person would find himself in a penitentiary for years or decades of his life that they wanted to err on the other side of releasing guilty people rather than taking the chance of innocent people being convicted of crimes they didn't commit. And we have seen the results of that of of so many so-called conservatives. Uh, They don't want to look soft on crime. They're scared to death of looking soft on crime and soft on drugs and as a result of that you know it's not exactly equal justice under the law you know there's that image of the the blindfolded woman holding a scale and having you know balance and that is supposed to be what justice is but this uh talk about conservatives and and their motivation for for not you know for being so afraid to look soft on crime well, you mentioned the drug war, which is just a classic example of the conservative mindset. Yeah. I mean, the libertarian mindset is, look, freedom necessarily entails at a minimum the right to ingest whatever you want to ingest. I mean, you know, you, you make those decisions. It may be harmful. It may be dangerous. But that necessarily is is wrapped up in what being a free person is. Mm-hmm. Conservatives have enacted these drug laws, along with liberals or progressives, True. that punish people for ingesting substances that they don't approve of. I mean, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really shocks the conscience. And it turns out they've been waging this thing for decades. Yeah. It's a tremendous assault, not only on fundamental liberty, but also on civil liberties, because you've got all of these court cases that enable them to do no-knock raids, where they, they bash in yeah. a person's door in the middle of the night. They have all these exceptions to the Fourth Amendment in car searches because of the drug war. 
and most, perhaps most important, it's a racist government program. I mean, you, you, if you look at the number of people that are uh, incarcerated, right. they're predominantly black and oh, Hispanic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would say this is the most racially bigoted program since segregation. And <laughs> for what purpose? Because government, because conservatives think they're going to eliminate drugs from society. Yep. Well, how successful has that been? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I often say, one of the things I've learned from history is that we never learn from history. <laughs> there were a few dark years of American history when we were all denied the right to drink alcoholic beverages, unless, of course, we could get a doctor's prescription, you know, with a nod and a wink. Of course, it failed to work. But it was very successful in creating a powerful and quite violent black market, which must have loved it being illegal. And this was the opposite of civil liberties. Can you explain to listeners how and why the decades-old total fa totally failed drug war has, as you say, long been a conservative favorite? I mean, let's face it, fentanyl is wicked, dangerous. Uh, we use wicked as an adjective here in New England. Uh, people die after ingesting it. Doesn't the state have a role to play in protecting us from harming ourselves? No. Uh, <laughs> as a libertarian, I would say absolutely not. That you have to make these decisions as a, as a human being, as an adult, uh, growing up, that, that you're going from age 18. You've got to make these decisions and live with the consequences. That's yes. how you mature. That's how you learn from your mistakes. Yes. That when the state operates as your daddy or your mommy and sends you to your room <laughs> for ingesting the wrong substance and the room happens to be a jail cell and you're 30, a 35-year-old banker, there's something wrong with this picture. Um, and and we, can, we can see the fiasco that the drug war has been in terms of failure and we can see the tremendous assault on civil liberties, on fundamental liberty. I mean, there is nothing positive that can be said about the drug war. Nothing. It, it is, it is a, a, an absolute abrogation, destruction of the rights of, of liberty. And I should mention that if you look at countries like Russia and China, North Korea, Cuba, all of which I think we would agree are not free societies. Right. They all have drug laws there. Isn't that interesting? And I also should point out that Americans did not have drug laws for the first hundred years of their history. Um, huh. Our ancestors believed that a free society necessarily meant the right to ingest what you wanted, including alcohol. I mean, it's fascinating that they needed a constitutional amendment to make alcohol consumption Ill, uh, illegal. Um, and yet, how come the same principle doesn't apply to the... Uh, ingestion of drugs and, and i think it's also worth pointing out that what you said that the, the parallels between prohibition of alcohol are exactly the same with the prohibition of drugs right, right. you've got all the violence you've got all the death you've got all the corruption the bribes and payoffs to cops and judges and so forth and look what they've done to foreign countries like mexico uh, mexico used to be uh. a very pleasant place to go vacation and visit the drug war has decimated that society, including around 60,000, 70,000 dead people as a result, not of drugs, but of the drug war. That's phenomenal. And, and, and I have to think that a lot of the people who are escaping, uh, for, and we'll talk about immigration, who are 
refugees leaving uh, countries in Central America, going through Mexico, where the drug lords, the violent drug war, because it's so profitable, because it's illegal, that's why they're leaving. That's one of the reasons that they're leaving. We're talking about freedom here. Uh, uh, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is Jacob Hornberger, founder and president of the Future of Freedom Foundation. And he's written a new article about conservatives are disasters on civil liberties. And one of the things that that's, seems to have sparked your, your article uh, is that, uh, you know, we have this system of justice, uh, equal justice under the law. We, yeah, right. It's probably more accurate to say that we have two systems of justice, at least, though we, you know, technically require equal justice for all. The Tucker Carlson show, and he's a guy who calls himself a conservative. They spoke about, he and his colleague uh, spoke about uh, uh, a two suspects, 125, 119. They were busted with 150,000 fentanyl pills, that stuff that kills people. As you note, Tucker expressed outrage over the fact that a state judge released the two men soon after their arrest, arrest on their own recognizance. End of your quote. Our system is there to protect decent law-abiding citizens from people who commit crimes. Tucker and his colleague would have the system immediately lock up the offenders for great periods of time, no questions asked. Wouldn't that serve justice, keeping good people safe from these two criminals? No, uh, absolutely not, because then they can jail anybody. Right. That Our system of government says that when somebody is accused of a crime, they have the right to bail. That's the Eighth Amendment. That's what our ancestors made sure was in there, because otherwise, if it wasn't in there, I can guarantee you that that mindset of Tucker Carlson would be reigning triumphant now. And what it says is that pending the, the trial— because an accusation is not guilt. Right. You can't punish somebody based on an accusation. I don't care how much evidence there was. Now, they caught these guys. They were two young guys driving a vehicle in which there were all these fentanyl pills stashed in the vehicle. Okay. We don't know whether they were guilty or not. That's the purpose of a trial. You may say, well, I think they were guilty, and I bet they were guilty, and I'm sure they were guilty, but that's not enough. Right. Under our system of government, you got to prove it, yeah. that they knew those pills were there, that they knowingly possessed those pills. That's what a trial's about. But the law says, pending that trial, we're not going to have pretrial detention, pretrial jailing in this country. They have a right to bail. Now, bail says you have to put up a cash bond in order to guarantee that you will appear at the at the trial and well the, the the law recognizes that some people are very very poor they don't have the money right. to post a bond right. and so there's this procedure that this judge used an established procedure under state law where he got a risk assessment as to whether they these guys would be probably appearing a trial and the risk assessment after the study was done says yeah they're a good risk they will appear at trial and so he released them on their own recognizance that's our system of justice. This is something that we should not be embarrassed about or ashamed about. This, this is something we should take great pride in because I guarantee you that the system that Carlson would prefer is the Russian system yeah. where you, you jail somebody after they're, they're uh, arrested for a crime. They stay in jail till, till there's a so-called trial uh, where the, the verdict's preordained. 
That's not our system. You got our system has a presumption of innocence. These people are presumed innocent until the state can get into that courtroom and prove their guilt beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury of their peers. Mm. And you think about so many cases over the years where so-called conservatives, anyway, people on the right have insisted that, uh, oh, they just got out because of a technicality. Well, these technicalities matter. You have to prove before you lock somebody away in this incredibly inhuman system for years and perhaps decades, you got to know for sure, you know, if if they're guilty. And what about the reality? We mentioned cash bail. How does what about that reality? How does that reflect on equal protection, equal justice under the law, cash bail? Yeah, well, before I answer that, let, let me sure, just sure, point sure. out something else here. Yeah. That the reason that people are transporting these kind of drugs is the black market. Of course. This is, this is what the illegality produces. It gives the incentive to poor people that they can strike it big in the drug war because of the black market. The black market prices are so high and the profits are so enormous right. that even middle class people get involved in the drug war. You know, like airline attendants have been caught uh, smuggling drugs on airlines and so forth from foreign countries because there's so much money. It's like yeah. very, very tempting for people. And so if you legalize drugs, right. That black market disappears. You wouldn't find these two guys over there transporting fentanyl pills or any other illicit drug because they can't compete in a legitimate market like against pharmacies and so forth. Uh, now, the, the, the thing about equal protection that you were talking about with respect to bail mm -hmm. is that the law says, OK, the judge has the authority to set whatever bond he thinks is reasonable that the, the defendant can make. You know, you can't just say uh, – $30 trillion bond. Right. And, but the, the judge, that's one of the purposes of a judge. He has to weigh what what amount of money will guarantee that in all likelihood this guy is going to appear at trial. And the, he takes into account various factors. You know, is the has the guy lived here all his life? Does he have a, a home here, a residence? Um, what's his income? What's his savings? So the judge may say, okay, this guy's worth $100,000 net worth, so I'm going to have him post a bond of $50,000. Um, well, you know that, that makes it difficult for a guy that, that says, well, I'm going to lose. If he doesn't show up at trial, right. he loses the $50,000, and he's still a fugitive. So there's, that's what they have, uh, guys that go out and chase guys that have jumped bail. Um, so it, most of the time, the bail system works very effectively, but the poor... In some of these states, the people have found that the poor are getting the shorter end of the stick because they can't post anything. Right. And so that's what the idea behind these risk assessment procedures are, is it says, hey, look, let's have equal treatment here for everybody. If a guy can't, doesn't even have enough money for any kind of bond, well, let's look, about, about, let's look at releasing him as, on his own recognizance if it's a good thing to do, a safe thing to do, that he'll appear at trial. Now, a guy can jump bail on, on a personal sure. recognizance. He's got nothing to lose except for the fact that once he's caught, they're going to get him on two counts, not only on the j bail jumping, but on the original charge itself. Right. 
So we have a system in place that that really can work. And as you say, you know, if people, if there's no opportunity for, uh, you know, people who have limited economic means, and there's tons of money to be made from drugs, well, you know, how complicated is that? And if it were legal, it'd be a different story. I do think it's interesting that in 2001, the country of Portugal de- decriminalized possession of all drugs of, of part of a wider reorientation of policy toward a health-led approach. The Portuguese model directly influenced the 2020 decriminalization measure, which was passed in the state of Oregon, for example, as well as the proposed decriminalization in Norway. Drug use is way down in Portugal. Is that closer to the libertarian model? What what would the libertarian model be with regard to these, you know, injustices? Well, it's it's closer, but decriminalization generally implies that it's still an offense, that it's just a minor offense. They're they're giving you like a parking ticket or something, but you still got to pay a fine if you're caught with the drugs. Libertarians believe in full drug legalization, Mm -hmm. Uh, not just on marijuana, cocaine, heroin, meth, whatever. Uh, that if you have a right to ingest whatever you want as part of a genuinely free society, then that applies across the board, right. uh, not just to marijuana or cigarettes or tobacco or alcohol. By the way, alcohol and tobacco are much more deadly and destructive than all the illicit drugs oh, yeah. and, uh, and and very addictive. And uh, more people die by die of those two drugs, <laughs> alcohol and tobacco, than all the other drugs. But those are legal. And so libertarians would say this applies across the board to everybody. Just get the state totally out of the drug business, uh, regulation, control, uh, whatever. Um, you know, I know liberals say, oh, well, the drugs should provide the, the state should provide needles for or drug rehab for people. Libertarians say no. Get the state totally out of this. Mm. Separate healthcare and drug use totally from the state auspices, control, regulation, and leave it totally to freedom in the free market. The free market oftentimes works. A lot of people have some differences about that, but I do find it interesting as we talk about alcohol. <laughs> if anyone reads about the the white men who were founders of this country, there was so much alcohol consumed in the process of making these laws and writing these documents, I mean, it was just phenomenal how much, I mean, it just alcohol was, was part of it. Rum was part of the, the culture, you know, involving uh, slavery, molasses, all that stuff. But, and alcohol, you know, the, the hypocrisy there is just pff, amazing, really. But meanwhile, our police, this... You know, I, sometimes I feel like, what would, what would the police do if they didn't have these drug busts? They love to boast about drug busts. You're right. You could go back to the newspaper articles from the 1970s and ever since then find any number of local sheriffs and DE agents with bales of confiscated marijuana or cocaine being displayed at big ballyhooed press conferences exclaiming they were making a big dent in the war against drug cartels. Are they? Are they making, were they making big dents? And what about this, you know, showing off? And I mean, people get frustrated if police don't solve a crime pretty quickly. So where does this fit in with uh, uh, police behavior? 
No, your, your point is really well taken. I mean, I, I grew up in Laredo, Texas, which is on the U.S.-Mexico border. And it was a major hub for the importation of drugs in the 60s and 70s. Uh, so I've seen this drug war all the way since I was since the 60s, when, when I was in high school and junior high. That's how long this thing's been going on, if not longer. Yeah. And um, the um, I've seen these record drug busts. I was a trial attorney in Laredo for several years before I went into the libertarian work. And uh, I see these major drug busts and the press conferences, and they've got all the bales of cocaine out there and the bales of marijuana and they just have this big thing about, oh, we're we're really making a big dent as you put it into the drug war. This is pure nonsense because they have these these record drug busts every year. Hmm. Now, after breaking the record every year, that would kind of tell you something, <laughs> you know. And uh, there's a great series on Netflix called Narcos that I highly recommend for people to watch, as oh. well as Narcos Mexico. But it showed that as they bust one drug cartel, of course, and they make they make all this hoopla about it. Oh, we've busted the Sinaloa cartel or the Medellin cartel. They're immediately replaced by either another cartel or several cartels. And if it's several cartels, then you've got this big drug war turf battle going on yeah. with all these people being killed. So yeah, it's just a great big racket. In, in <laughs> fact, the the, the the I think the only thing that really keeps the drug war going now is the big money that's being made, not just by drug lords, but by the drug war bureaucracy. Uh -huh. The judges, they have salaries. The the law enforcement people, the clerks in the courts, plus all the bribes and kickbacks that that, that take place. That corruption isn't just in Mexico; it's here in the United States yeah. too. Just like in prohibition of alcohol. Same oh, thing. yeah. Oh, yeah. And in prohibition of alcohol, there was a lot of violence, a tremendous amount of violence. All the, you know, we've, we've uh, uh, romanticized that on, on, on so many movies, but it was incredibly violent and it didn't work at all. Oh, yeah, like Al Capone and so yeah. forth. Uh, yeah. No, there's, there's no question. Now, let me make it clear. You know, you made an interesting point about. Uh, a lot of alcohol being consumed in the early days of the Republic uh, when the United States right. was formed. And, and it, that continued going on. I mean, alcohol was a big problem. That was why the the Anti-Temperance League or something like that formed. All these women were out yeah. there trying to, to get uh, laws passed because men were suffering, or women too, I guess, from a lot of alcoholism. So I don't, I don't want to diminish the problem right. of drug addiction. It's just that we believe that People would be better off, society would be better off, leaving this in the private sector, just like with alcohol. We, we leave alcohol to like Alcoholics Anonymous, which mm -hmm. is the most mm -hmm. successful drug rehab program in history. Yes. No government subsidies or involvement at all. True. And so if you if you legalize drugs, the addict now can come out into the open and uh, admit that he's addicted. He can get treatment without worrying that there's some narc at some narc discussion group uh he can be open about his addiction without fear of being busted it's it's a much healthier way to deal with alcohol addiction or, or drug addiction it's just stop the criminal justice process from getting involved in it makes sense to me and it seems like we've been sort of going there you know the arc of uh history moves toward justice but boy it's slow my goodness it's slow frustratingly slow Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about uh, conservatives being disasters on civil liberties. Our guest today 
is uh, head president, founder and president of the Future of Freedom Foundation, Jacob Hornberger. We've been talking pretty much exclusively about uh, the drug war and our system of justice and how it, it isn't working particularly well and it really, really impedes on civil liberties and affects an awful lot of people. And it really, what's the benefit from it? We, we haven't figured that out yet. But I also wanted, I wanted to move into the idea of a, a police state is the opposite of a, a conservative, uh, conserving, preserving liberties and freedoms and democracy and a Republican form of government. And at least since 9-11, I think most of us recognize we've been living in a national security state, the so-called Patriot Act. People don't often think of them when discussing civil liberties, but I, I think we should. What is this national security state? What is the national security establishment? It's become largely invisible in our lives. But if we want to preserve and protect our civil liberties, why should there be increased consciousness about this bipartisan-supported national security state? And as you pointed out, it actually, I mean, people since 9-11 have recognized that it's been there, but you point out it's been there long before that. What about this national security state? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think this is where the biggest destruction of, of civil liberties is. I mean, we, we see a, a police state, and essentially use that term police state, because I use that term in, along the southwestern, in the southwestern United States along the border. When you deal with the, uh, the, the immigration controls, the domestic highway checkpoints, the DEA, I mean, there really is an immigration and drug war police state along the border. But the biggest assault on civil liberties has been with the advent of the national security state. Um, the, now, the, to understand what a national security state is, uh, it's helpful to provide examples like Russia's sure. a national security state, China's a national security state, Cuba's a national security state, Saudi Arabia's a national security state, and so is the United States. Wasn't always that we're here. That's right. We started out as a limited government republic, uh, and that means a government whose powers are limited. Uh, after World War II, the federal government, unbeknownst to many Americans who think they've had the same system of government all this time, the federal government was converted into what's called a national security state. This is a type of government where at least a part of the government, if not all the government, wields omnipotent powers, mm. total powers, totalitarian-like powers. And that's what happened here. We have the Pentagon, the CIA, and the NSA, which are the three principal components of the national security establishment. They have um, omnipotent powers, totalitarian powers. Uh, they're kind of ignored. They're put aside. The courts uh, passively defer to them. They uphold these powers. But there is no way that they can be reconciled with the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights applies to the whole federal government. But what they've done is they've carved out an exception for the Pentagon, the CIA, and the NSA. Let me give you some examples. The power of assassination. They can assassinate anyone they want. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's no review. There's no second guessing. All they got to do is say national security or war on terrorism. And that's it. They can snuff out anybody's life, including an American. And they've done that. They've they've assassinated Americans and they're, they have the power to assassinate Americans. There is no way that that can be reconciled with the, the fifth, uh, the Fifth Amendment that says no person shall be deprived of life without due process of law, because due process of law is a trial. They've got um, the power to torture people. 
the power to indefinitely detain people like we were talking about before, just based on an accusation. We see that with Guantanamo. There's people that have been held in Guantanamo for yeah. 20 years yes. with no trial. Right. It's incredible. It's like being in communist China or North Korea, 20 years without a trial. And then you've got the mass secret surveillance that directly contra contradicts the, uh, the Fourth Amendment on search and seizure that we talked about earlier. That's what the NSA does. That's what the Edward Snowden case revealed. So this, this is where you have the most, uh, the most destructive assault on civil liberties. And we were warned about this. President, well, our ancestors warned it, but they, they warned against what they call standing armies, mm. uh, which was their word for their term for a national security state. President Eisenhower yes. warned about it with his, uh, is talk about the military-industrial complex. Yes. Uh, Kennedy was trying to do something about it. That's what his peace speech at American University was all about. Oh yes. But this this is the greatest threat to our to our civil liberties, the national security establishment. And I'm glad, parenthetically, you brought up John Kennedy's speech of, of June 1963. That was, if, if people haven't read that or heard it, it's on uh, YouTube. It's incredible. I think personally. That speech contributed to his death. I really do, because it, it just took on the national security establishment too heavily. And uh, they couldn't have that. They couldn't have that. Um, let, and, let me just interject there. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the, 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 the cast was, the die was cast with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Um, when when uh, Kennedy struck a deal with the with the uh, Soviets that the military, right. the Joint Chiefs of Staff called the biggest defeat in U.S. history. But it was that peace speech where Kennedy said, we're going to move America in a different direction from what the national security state wants to do. We're not going to have a Pax Americana enforced by America's weaponry. Um, and he threw the gauntlet down and the war was on and Kennedy ended up losing this. And yeah. I should say that I've, I've written several books on this subject, the most recent of which is An Encounter with Evil, the Abraham Zabruder story. Yes. But our bestseller at the Future of Freedom Foundation is the Kennedy autopsy, which I wrote as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it, it was it's a digression, but it's an important digression. And people should really try to listen to that speech, June tenth, nineteen sixty-three. It, I, I, I was twelve years old when when Kennedy was shot, and it it, of course, brought me to tears, and it still kind of does, to be perfectly honest. But let's not go there because I can't use the tears today; <laughs> it won't be useful. One of the political successes of the far right, the so-called conservatives, what they've enjoyed in recent times is the popularity, the prospect of clamping down on illegal immigrants. The other people, the people you have to be afraid of. You write that today we have a, quote, a system of very stringent immigration controls, a Berlin Wall, an immigration police state, which both conservatives and liberals favor. Um, um, I regret, I agree with you. I'm liberals, I know a lot of liberals, they favor it as well, clamping down on, the, on immigration. And you say those 53 people who recently died as part of a human smuggling ring, were victims of this not particularly conservative attitude. The libertarian stance on the concept of an open border is quite a different approach. Please explain, and this may shake up a lot of uh, uh, people, you know, so-called conservatives who, you know, really want to put up that wall, build the wall. 
Yeah, I mean, I sometimes wonder whether they would, the conservatives would have been better off uh, just moving the Berlin Wall to the southern border <laughs> rather than letting them dismantle it. Uh, you know, and, well, and let and that then, wall go to waste. Yeah, true. Right, and and man it, man it with East German sharpshooters. God, you know, with really? pa- with proper papers, of course, you can't just let them in. Uh, so. The and, and let me let me point out that those fifty three people died in the back of that tractor yeah. trailer that everybody's lamenting and everybody's grieving over. That's that's happened time and time again. That's not the first time. Yeah. I, I mentioned I grew up on the border. I've seen these deaths over and over and over again. And every time there's the lamentations and the grief. But what what's the solution? You see, all all that people say is something's got to be done about this. We need a comprehensive immigration reform, which is my favorite term because it's so, it's so ridiculous. It's right. so non-critical. <laughs> let, 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 me, let me make a point that I've emphasized for 32 years at the Future Freedom Foundation. That is that no reform will fix this system. No reform will fix it. I figured that if that message can just get settled into the consciousness of the American people, we can finally go beyond this, oh, well, we need comprehensive immigration reform because the system's broken. It's not broken. It's inherently defective, Bert. Immigration controls are an inherently defective system. Now, why are they inherently defective? Well, because it's central planning. And that's a socialist principle, social uh, central planning is. And anybody will tell you that a socialist system is inherently defective. It comes with death. It comes with suffering. It comes with a police state. It, it comes with crisis and chaos. Uh, Ludwig von Mises, the, the Austrian economist, called central planning planned chaos. <laughs> That's what you have along the border, and you've had for all my entire life. I've seen this crisis. I grew up on a farm on the Rio Grande. I've seen this immigration crisis up front. You have a perpetual crisis ever since I was a kid. There's only one solution, and I let me underscore that, only one solution to these deaths and to this police state, and that's open borders. The free movements of people back and forth across borders. I'm talking about the abolition of the Border Patrol, the abolition of ICE, abolition of yes. all restrictions on the border. If you want to conceive mentally what I'm talking about, think about crossing between Maryland and Virginia or Oklahoma and Texas or any other states that are joining each other. You cross the border between these states. You don't see a big red line that says this is a border. The, the only way you really know you've crossed the border is there's a sign that says, welcome to Arkansas. Uh, but that's what we're looking for on the southern border and, and all borders here, international borders, just the free movements of people back and forth. In that case, you don't have a black market anymore. You don't have these illegal transporters. People are crossing borders like human beings on buses and cars and motorcycles or walking or whatever. The police state is over. The deaths are over. And people can retain their citizenship. There's no inherent reason why a foreigner that comes over here to tour or work or visit or whatever has to become an American citizen. You retain your citizenship. And you you interact, you open businesses. This was our heritage. This is our system, open immigration, uh, not only at Ellis Island, but also in the Southwest. For 50 years after the U.S. took control over the northern half of Mexico and absorbed it into the United States, right. there was free movements of people across the borders. The, the, mm. Nothing didn't collapse. Everything worked fluidly. There was 
there was a harmony of interests where people crossing back and forth. Again, it's the only solution, Bert. Nothing else is going to work. Boy, and the current system has been a complete, incredibly expensive in terms of dollars and, and harm to people. Uh, just the, the system, I just, yeah. So, you know, well, let, go ahead. Consider this too, that there's, when I talk about a police state, when you, when you leave Laredo, my hometown, and head north on Interstate 35 to San Antonio, you come over a crest of a hill, and, and I swear it's a surreal sight. You, you, for a moment, you think you're still in Mex- you're in Mexico, because it's there's this huge immigration station, and if if you turn around, do a U-turn, man, they'll come after you real fast. Um, so you you come up to this immigration station. They have the 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 power, the legitimate power upheld by the Supreme Court to do a complete search of your vehicle. Now, if you're white, you, you're well-to-do, you got a nice car, they're going to just say, American citizen, yes, and okay, go ahead. But if you're dark-skinned, you got a uh, an older car, you can't speak English, and right. I would estimate around 30% of people in Laredo cannot speak English. Uh, it's, it's predominantly Mexican-American city. Uh, they will, you better have your papers with you. People leaving Laredo have to carry their passport if they're dark skinned. And, and I know this from a personal experience of a friend of mine. Uh, if you don't have your papers, you're in trouble. And these domestic highway checkpoints also exist like in Arizona going in the east west direction. So even mm. if you've never entered Mexico, you're subject to these searches. This is how they arrested Willie Nelson. They, they, they stopped him at one of these domestic checkpoints. He yeah. had not been in New Mexico, and they found marijuana and busted him for that. <laughs> I've, been, I've been to Cuba, Bert. They have these domestic highway checkpoints in Cuba, which we all would agree is not a free country. Yeah. In fact, they have them in every communist country. This is what a police state is all about. And people have become so accustomed to it here in the United States that it's that old thing of boiling a frog. You know, how do you boil right. a frog? Well, you don't throw the frog right into the boiling water. You throw him in the cold water and you slowly heat it up so he doesn't realize what's happening. That's what's happened with this immigration police state, the drug war police state along the border. People have become accustomed to it. They've convinced themselves that it's part of a free society. It's not. And as one of our founders said, uh, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And being thrown into cold water while it gets turned up, you know, it's easy to not be vigilant along that. Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about threats to our freedom. Uh, the article uh, in uh, uh, Future of Freedom Foundation uh, is Conservatives Are Disasters on Civil Liberties. And we're talking about that with the founder and president of the uh, Future of Freedom Foundation. And... I, I do find, I mean, the subject of, of race has come up a few times. We recognize that, you know, there's a system of justice for white people with money and then one for people of color, the other people. So-called conservatives, it amazes me. They give a nod and a wink to white supremacists these days. The sentiment is, you know, these so-called originalists in the Supreme Court, you know, when America was founded, when the, America, when the Constitution was written, it was white Christian male property owners who had control. So I wonder if that's, is that originalism? Is keeping white men in control not therefore genuinely conservative? Your thoughts, Jacob? Well, 
my take on this is that, you know, there, there's all this talk of people on the left and the right of racism in America and uh, castigating white supremacists and all this. You know, what I say is don't don't be getting into this area. Don't lecture anybody in this area until you legalize drugs, because you know that your little beloved program here. And when I say you, I'm talking about leftists and rightists, conservatives and liberals or progressives, whatever label you want to put. They all support this drug war. And everybody knows by now. In the beginning, somebody could say, well, I'm not really sure this is going to be a racist program. We all know now, after decades of experience, that it's racist to the core. Yeah. That you can look at the number of people that are sitting in the penitentiary who are yeah. black, who have been denied the right to vote. We all know this. To continue this with this knowledge, to me, eliminates any standing you have to be lecturing anybody on racism and white supremacy and so forth. Get rid of your little beloved racist program, which, as I said earlier, I think is the biggest racist programs in segregation. Then you can start lecturing people. But until you get rid of that program, keep your mouth shut on race and bigotry and so forth, because you are part of the problem. And I don't mean you, Bert. I right. mean you, leftists and rightists, are part of the problem. Don't mince words here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you really mean? No, Independence Day 2022. Wow. Interesting time. Interesting time. It was celebrated with freedom and liberty under assault. Miranda rights, the environment, the separation of church and state, guns, so many guns. Uh, comments, please, on the U.S. Supreme Court and traditional liberty these days and, you know, what they're doing and all these different traditional rights. Are they conservative? What the heck is going on there? Well, they're doing some good things on gun rights. Um, I mean, they, they, they've knocked out that, that gun control law in New York that was just a, a sham. They said, oh, well, we let people have licenses for concealed carry. Uh, which was total nonsense because they never would grant the license. And, and, and the Supreme Court had knocked that out and says, look, people have a right to defend themselves. I mean, that's, that's part of what, what gun rights are all about, the right of self-defense. This notion that if you enact gun control laws, that murderers are going to comply with the law mm. is so ludicrous. It, it's, it, I mean, it defies credulity that people really believe this. But all you got to do is make it illegal to to possess a gun and murderers are going to obey that law. If they're, if they're not going to obey a murder law, they're not going to obey a gun control law. Right. Well, aside from that, if we could, you and I perhaps disagree on that, but what about Miranda rights and the separation of church and state? Well, I, I don't see any real assault on Miranda rights. I mean, the, the Miranda warnings still have to be given. Um, I, hmm. I don't, I don't see any, any move afoot to, to get rid of that. Um, on the separation of church and state, I presume you're talking about the the prayer in public schools deal. Right, right. Uh, well, libertarians always go to the root of the thing. You know, we, we figured that if you're if you got a weed, you got to pull it out by its root. So we we never get involved in how the public schools should operate. You know, should a guy be able to? kneel out in the middle right. of a public school athletic field or should there be prayer in public schools we don't believe the state should be involved in education any more than it, it should be involved in religion we say separate school and state the way our ancestors separated church and state mm -hmm. get the government entirely out of education no more public schools or government schools as libertarians oh. call them oh. 
And then you don't have all this problem anymore. If people want to send their kids to a religious school, you got religious schools. Yeah. And the free market produces all these varieties for people to choose from. You want to send your kid to an atheist school? You can do that. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we don't get involved in telling the state how to run its affairs. What we want to do is get the state out of the affairs that it shouldn't be involved in. Sounds good to me. And so-called conservatives are, as as you know, these days, I mean, the Republican Party has changed a lot. My goodness, a lot. They're waging a culture war. People like Senator Josh, Josh Hawley, instead of focusing on electoral issues, you know, things that can be done through a legislature, are, are now calling for male domination, white male domination and control. This culture war. How is this seen by libertarians? I'm curious about that. Well, my take on it is that there are so many big problems in America that it, it's not worth devoting a lot of time to these culture wars. It, it's sort of like if you're on the Titanic and you've hit this iceberg and you start saying, let's talk about how the, the deck chairs are going to be right. uh, arranged here. I mean, this country is rotting from the inside. It, it's going down from the inside. You got $30 trillion in debt. You got massive expenditures taking place, including eight hundred billion dollars plus to the to the military. Yes, you've got inflation going out the kazoo. The Federal Reserve now they're tightening up. It's going to throw the country into another recession. I mean, you've you've got the Pentagon, the CIA involved in all these uh, external foreign affairs, uh, ginning up this crisis now with Russia and Ukraine mm -hmm. that's getting us perilously close to a nuclear war. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of big things, the drug war that we've talked about, a lot of big things that are threatening this country. That's where, to me, the predominant focus should be rather than on uh, same-sex marriage or, or uh, things like that, that to me, uh, yeah, they're important, but to me, they pale to insignificance compared to the things that are taking this country down. That's where America needs to be focused is on the things that are threatening to take this country down. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, the whole marriage thing, I, I never could figure out how any one marriage affects any other marriage, straight, gay, whatever. You know, it's it's nobody's business. It's nobody's business. I think. Yeah, if you get the state out of out of the marriage business, I mean, see, we we libertarians <laughs> believe in getting the state out of the things that doesn't belong. It belongs in the area of going after murderers, rapists, thieves, and so forth. But why can't people be free to decide for themselves what their marriage is? Yeah, really. Uh, they don't need to be licensing marriage. This could be a totally private thing. Absolutely. And so if, if one group of society says, well, we don't recognize a marriage between two men or two women, okay, fine, you don't recognize it. That's your business. But you've got another group of people saying, well, we do. Fine, great. But leave the state out of it. And I want to ask, too, I, I disagree with Rand Paul on most things. But in terms of foreign policy, we spend at least a zillion dollars, maybe three times that. I don't know. Tremendous money on overseas bases and what many people would see as, you know, frankly, imperialism. I don't think this is what our founders intended it to be. Where does where does that kind of, you know, huge proportion of our tax dollars goes to so-called defense? What, what, tell us about the libertarian uh, take on that stuff. Well, it, these foreign military bases, you're right, they are. They're, they're inherent to an empire. 
It's yeah. an empire of military bases. In fact, there's a great book by a guy named Chalmers Johnson said, uh-huh. uh, that I recommend. It's called, I think it's an empire of bases or something like that. Um, that in fact, all hit Chalmers Johnson's books. I'd recommend, um, the founding fathers of this country, our American ancestors, were totally opposed to this type of thing. This is what, what empires are all about. Imagine foreign military bases in, what, a hundred countries or something like all that, right. a thousand bases. Uh, I mean, this is outrageous that, that, that America that starts out as a limited government republic yeah. is over there gotten its tentacles like an octopus in all these foreign countries, gene up crises, coups. Uh, regime change operations, civil wars. Th- this is contrary to every founding principle of this country. You can read Thomas Jefferson's um, uh, speeches. You can read George Washington's farewell address. They said, stay out of foreign wars. Yes. Just stay out of them. Europe has been besieged by wars for centuries. Stay out of them. Rein in the federal government. Keep it here at home uh, where it can't do any damage. Have a very small, limited army. No Pentagon, no CIA, no N- NSA. But liberate the American people, the private sector, to interact with the people of the world. Foreigners love Americans in the private sector. They, they hate government officials. Right. <laughs> That's They're certain. our best diplomats. And, and yet we have sanctions. We have embargoes that, that restrict the, the ability of Americans to travel, like to Cuba, spend money, interact with people. From our own government, we have restrictions on our freedom with these sanctions and embargoes. So what they've done is the exact opposite. They've unleashed the federal government to do all this damage around the world, Afghanistan, Iraq, Middle East, Africa, yeah. South America, and they've reined in the, federal, the, the private sector. It needs to be the exact opposite. Unleash the private sector and reign in the federal government, bring all these troops home, dismantle, abandon all these foreign military bases, and restore a limited government republic. Well, you and I don't agree on everything, but on that, we are absolutely in agreement. Fascinating discussion. If people want to follow more of uh, the uh, Future of Freedom Foundation, what can you point them to on that internet thingy? Uh, the best thing to do is go to our website at fff.org or Google Future of Freedom Foundation. Uh, we've got an, a daily email uh, uh-huh. publication called the FFF Daily. That's free. We've got a monthly journal called Future of Freedom that goes for $25 a year or $25 uh, email version. We do a, a weekly called the Libertarian Angle. Uh, me and a guy named Richard Ebeling, we analyze current events in the context of libertarian principles. And we're going to have a great online conference uh, this fall to be on monetary policy. Just come to FFF.org and subscribe to our FFF Daily. And we've seen so many examples where the private sector does work better. I mean, I think of Vietnam when we had so many Vietnamese dying, so many Americans dying. Guess what? We're doing business with them now. We could have been doing business with them 60 years ago. And it's better for both people. Future of Freedom Foundation, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, we need to really focus and and understand that what so-called conservatives are doing on on civil liberties, we need to wake up to that and and stand up and be for our liberties ourselves. That's what our founders intended us to do, be active citizens. What a concept. Thank you so much, Jacob. Thank you. And great point on Vietnam, Bert.
Don't miss a single show. Go to the website, subscribe, keepingdemocracyalive.com.